Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 276. And again, upon a a certain request, I'm going to do a specialty uh, podcast today. And one that is, uh, for me, very near and dear and just a way that I exist with animals and people and everything every day. But I, I... I think it's, if I can possibly communicate it clearly, I think it's an extremely important part of just having a dog and owning a dog. And it's when you start getting into some of the training and some of the very advanced training, I think it's essential, just absolutely essential. So I'm just going to, and the topic is going to be um, energy and our dogs. And energy takes a, a number of forms. When people talk about dogs and energy, they usually mean one thing, and that is, oh, my dog's just very high energy, has so much energy, which means they run around crazy, and they can't sit still, and they're, they don't be calm very much, and they're just movement all the time, and there's a certain physical chaos going on, and so they just have a lot of energy. And so when people see dogs that way, uh, then they attribute a lot of physical energy to these dogs and then the answer to whatever the problem is whatever it is the behavior the actions the ability to train and reach them is because they need more physical exercise (laughs) so so they actually add more to what's happening there already uh, and then wonder and then you know, it doesn't, it works a little bit if you can kind of tire them out, but then they come roaring back after they rest up again, and the problem gets worse, and and they, pretty soon, if you have a puppy, you attribute it to just being a puppy, right? Oh, it's a puppy. They'll outgrow it, (laughs) and, you know, you wait long enough, you know, they get old enough, like any of us, you you do slow down, and you're not quite as amped up as you were when you were younger, but I'm going to say that's in my way of looking at things and interacting with dogs, that is a misread on the situation. So it requires a fairly fundamental understanding of the dog. And I am going to, as I often do, use a human analogy for this because that's how I was able to work it out. And it, I think it, it's at least helpful to... Humans are, are not dogs, you know, and I always tell people, let's don't anthropomorphize these things. They are dogs. They are canines. We are not. There are very large differences between these two species of critters here. But in some ways, as with all living things, there are, are some similarities. So I'm going to talk about the kind of energy uh, that dogs have and how to understand it maybe a little bit better and then deal with it, actually maybe use it to your advantage. And so there's basically three kinds of energy primarily uh, in a dog, right? There's just pure physical energy. You know, some are happy to get up and walk all over somewhere and sit down. That may be because they're very large and lumbering and it's hard to get up and move around. And if they're real little, it's real easy. So when you are interpreting physical energy in a dog, take into account both the design purpose of this dog and the structure. Because they don't run the, the Kentucky Derby with draft horses. 
because great big draft horses are our big strong animals, right, that pull the uh, Budweiser beer uh, wagon. Uh, you know, you'd never get a thoroughbred to, to be, that <laughs> would be a little interesting. Plus, I don't think that they could, you know, it would take a lot of them to be able to do that. But for thoroughbreds, you have animals for whom movement is much easier and can be far more rapid. So understand that dogs' structure is a huge part of the physical energy part of this. So, you know, you don't just... And you can be a big dog like, like um, greyhounds. They're large in terms of long legs, long back, long neck, but they don't weigh a lot. You know, or you can have a, a mastiff, you know, which does weigh a lot, and so they can't move as quickly, and so, et cetera. So if you have a, a standard retriever that's anywhere between, you know, 55 and 75 pounds, that's fairly kind of in the middle, middle range there. And those tend to be pretty athletic animals and tend to have good movement as long as their structure is there. And the longer a dog's neck is, just like with a horse, the easier you can get speed. There's all that kind of thing. But physical energy is, is a lot the ability of movement. Now you have, um, I'm going to say, psychological energy, if I, if I can get this right. And that is... Based on the origins of the dog you have, you know, it could be a mixed breed that has a little, you know, pit bull and chow in it, right? So it's fuzzy with the rod. It, or it could be a, a golden doodle, you know, so you got poodle and golden in there. Whatever the, the origins and the driving forces, the purposes of these dogs, the reason that they were developed, that is the big psychological part of that. I don't even know it's psychological, It'd be genetic maybe part of that, but it's kind of what they're driven to do without really thinking about it. It's just there. So the little retrievers, right? You, you throw a sock down the hallway, they run and get it, bring it back. They don't know what they're doing. They're just doing what they are driven to do when it's completely up to them. You know, I've seen little English pointers where there's just like a feather and they lock up on the on a feather. And it's just the most amazing thing. You know, it's just what they do. There's generations behind that. So there is always that energy there. So that's why people that have protection dogs or dogs that are bred for kind of aggressive kind of behavior, that's in there. Yeah, I don't care how great a job you do raising it and how wonderful it is. That energy is in there. And it's a lot better if you're aware and you do nothing to bring that out unless that's what you want. So and our, our retrievers, uh, they are bred to, to want to go get something, particularly birds, but shoot, they'd do anything if you let them. Um, that they're, they're driven to hunt. Now, they're driven to hunt initially so they eat. And then we're kind of transferring that over, taking advantage of their service attitude and getting them to go hunt for us and bring it to us. And then they get a real good dinner also. But so there's that that motivational internal DNA driven thing that comes from, you know, eons past that is an energy that is present there. You know, why people get bird dogs and retrievers and they live at a little apartment and walk it down on the little you know, 20 by 20 foot square to air it and put it back, get big old dogs, you know, boy, talk about it. their energy is not going to be spent in terms of doing what they were put on the earth to do, which of course can often be a, 
a problem and sometimes a severe problem. A lot of those dogs get returned to the pound and stuff. And here's this beautiful dog that through no doing of its own other than being whatever kind of dog it was, didn't fit. And it was supposed to fit. It looked really cool, but everybody ignored the internal drive that's on those dogs. The third kind of energy that I'm going to talk about is is the mental energy. The If you could just do an energy read on the brain as it's operating. Um, and it's very, very true with, with humans as well. But the, the brain, the way that it operates. And here's where I really like to use analogies with humans. They, their brains, and you know, it can be somewhat breed specific, but within any given breed, there is a wide range of the way their head, their minds work. And, you know, I think anymore they're finding out that diet is actually a factor in a lot of, you know, human children in their behaviors. And it's probably very much a factor in dog minds in their behaviors. But there's not a lot of money in investigating that, so there won't be a lot of research done on that. But uh, it, it's... <laughs> We have these three kind of energies on this stuff, and all of them factor in all the time with you and your dog. It's, that's just how it is. It just does. The more you are aware of this and take it into account in existing with your dog, you know, teaching them to be a good family member, however that is for you, and then when you get to the training, it is immensely useful to understand now, and, and again, I'm going to, well, let's just, let's talk about, and most people listen to this, I tend to have more of the hunting dog people, and then even more of the retriever people, but it does go with anything. If you have a German Shepherd, I had a, I had a Doberman that I trained when I was a teenager. You know, that was a different, very different. Uh, and Dachshunds, I'll just tell you, that's a whole thing unto its own. <laughs> I just, if you can train a Dachshund, you are a miracle person. Um, but, so then you get a good one. But anyway, uh. LC ran a field trial this last week and got second to the highest other female in the country. So she she still does well, but her breeder doesn't, not me. So she's back with me with her ribbons and bling and stuff. But again, the, the way you'd be effective with a dachshund is to understand these are badger dogs from Germany. You know, they don't care if they die when they go after something. It's just the pursuit and... And going after it, that counts. <laughs> so it's very helpful if people take that into account. I see a lot of people with little wiener dogs, especially designer wiener dogs with the funny spots and the hair and stuff. Um, but those little dogs have are very purpose-driven, unless you just breed it out of them and breed in spotty long hair. Um, <laughs> but they, they are very purposeful. And if you can understand these kind of energies that I'm talking about, then you can have a really cool dog. And I've had some really great, great ones of those. Very helpful in our retrievers and our hunting dogs, especially in our retrievers, which have a unique uh, set of characteristics that you can be even more effective when you uh, understand this, especially people that get puppies, right? You get a lab puppy and, and there's a lot of energy there just globally there is a lot of energy and so people just think of energy in one form right which is let's just run the little hummer to death or put it out in the yard with the other dog and let this torture the other dog but at least they're spending energy and that's the goal and i would suggest that that not uh 
that it be a little more thought out. The goal is, yes, to make this dog enjoyable to have around. Absolutely. But that is possible. Uh, it really is. But it's taking these three things into account. So uh, first thing I'm going to talk about is the psychological or the purpose-driven thing. goes for all breeds that, like, even ones where it's a little mixed breed, but there's stuff in there. It would be really nice to find out what that is. But on our hunting dogs, especially our retrievers, right, they are... They are predators. They are predators. So they like to, you know, eat awful stuff. I mean, that's the whole purpose of predation anyway, is to go get something to eat, right? Survival. So they have a lot of behaviors, especially right off the bat, that can be real annoying. You know, they go out and eat just the most disgusting things. I've gotten those phone calls so many times. Can I use an electric collar to stop this? It's like, uh, no, please. <laughs> uh, for one, understand why it's there. And if you're going to punish something that's in them, you know, I don't know the results of that could sometimes be counterproductive. But also our retrievers and other hunting breeds, right, they like to learn how to ex go conduct themselves in their natural environment, a field, you know, thing. Not the 20 by 20 square foot of turf on the outside the apartment where you have, you know, four minutes to go before you're put up for the rest of the day. They, they like to, they want to get out and use all of their faculties. They are wanting to be, use all the God-given things that they have and practice them. So that means you get out of the house or the apartment or the backyard, and that's why I have the walk. And everything I've ever done is take, I don't care, take your chihuahua on the walk. That's how I did my Pyrenees. And I, every dog I've ever owned, LC, my dachshund, all done the walk. So it, and it's just so much more all-encompassing than, than you realize until you do it. You know, they are connecting with nature. They are connecting with using their faculties. They're connecting with working with you. And they're also learning how to use their nose and eyes and smells and tastes and all kinds of things, which is part of what they are driven to do. Then you add the element of retrieving. Now, what people like to do with retrievers is use that to wear down the what they part, think of as the physical energy, to wear that, to make them more bearable to have around. And that is the worst thing, in my opinion, the worst thing you can ever do. Because, yeah, you're going to make them tired. You're going to also make retrieving be more of a chaotic f game of darts than it is going to be their future job, particularly if you're going to hunt seriously or compete. So retrieving is something, one, they are highly compelled to do, and two, need to do with great expertise later on so they don't get shot, so they don't get go through a fence they shouldn't or run across the street when they shouldn't. So retrieving is their job. So when you do that, you do it in a focused manner, and that's where we're, now we're going to get into some of the other energies. So don't spend that energy because it's only downside, and it also makes when they retrieve their mind be wildly chaotic. That is the last thing that you absolutely want. So I've mentioned two things now, on, and we're just talking about a puppy, and I don't care any kind of puppy that's mature enough to understand stuff. So we want to do two or three retrieves where they are focused, they're with you. I'm not going to go into all that here. I've gone over it and many other things where they're with you, something is thrown, they go get it, they come straight back. You teach them that's their job. 
you don't just let them figure it out on their own. So if they don't come right back to you, start in the hallway or something, but then get out of the house because that's not where they do their job as soon as you can. And then then put them on a cord so they go out and get it, come back, praise, good dog, teach them out and back. But you only do a few. More is not better. More is you're trying to spend energy because this is difficult for you and you're not going to be effective on this by doing that. Later on, you're going to have to undo the chaos of retrieving that you spent a lot of time creating. So we got the retrieving part that's in there. We got the psychological part. This one is the retrieving and the other is getting out into the world in which they were meant to be, the field. And you're, and you're just exploring, they're learning, they're doing all this stuff, they're staying with you. Now, the third part of this, and probably the one that makes the biggest difference of all, is the mental energy, the mental energy. And that's what almost never gets addressed in people's minds. Almost never. You know, it's just, uh, they have a dog butt and it's a retriever dog butt. And so it does this stuff and then get, tell me the 10 things I need to do with it and I'll go do it. And they completely ignoring the part that is going to be most critical to being uh, effective and successful in what you're doing. And that is what's going on in the brain. Now I'm going to use the human analogy. And I really learned this from my two kids. So, and I've said this before, they were both ADD or ADHD, what I'm not sure. Diagnosed as that finally, later on, as, uh, as uh, older teenagers. They were, when they were real young, they just did fabulous at everything. They did, in school, they were great. And then right around junior high, in both of them, it just went into the, into the, uh, just down the tubes. You know, and here's these kids, and I'm not one that, you know, if you don't get straight A's, you don't, you know, there's punishment. I'm not that. It's just like, just go do your best. That's all I want you to do. And they weren't getting very good grades. They weren't flunking so much. They just weren't doing what had been. And I'm going, are they lazy? Are they don't care? They're never going to get educated. They just, you know, I was just wondering so much because for me going in school, and I'm just a regular person, but I never you know, went from A's to C's or A's to D's or any of that. I just, you know, you just do your work and do what you're supposed to to get through this thing and move on. And they seem to be struggling. And I was just so concerned. And I tried, you know, I took my son out of sports, which was the dumbest thing in the world to do because that was his best place. And so then when that didn't change, it's like, I give up. You guys, I just, you know, go do whatever it is you feel you have to do. And they they got through most of school but until they got diagnosed with this ADD thing. And as they explained to me, both of them separately in their own ways, later on when we were past that, my daughter's getting her Ph.D. in engineering, so we're good, we're good. My, both of them went to hard schools and they've done well. Um, but to get from, oh, my gosh, you're having a hard time passing, you know, seventh grade math, really? Um to where they are now was because once they understood how their minds worked, and it was very different from mine, it, how they worked, and that you they can't sit there for 50 straight minutes and just pay attention and take notes, just impossible. And then they can't sit there and take the test necessarily in the 50 minutes you're allowed and get out. There was all this stuff. And when they understood and got actually help for how do you manage when this is how your mind works, then everything, they then suddenly they realize, yeah, I am okay. I'm not crazy. I'm not bad. I'm not lazy. I'm not a, a failure. I'm not any of this stuff. 
and and they've gone on uh, since, and they, I think they've helped other people that are in that situation. So I'm watching this unfold in my life, going, I totally missed this. I didn't even know about it. I had no idea. They weren't being lazy. They weren't actually not very smart. They weren't any of these things. We just weren't dealing with the way their brain and their thoughts worked. And that's when I learned. I looked over at a lot of dogs I was training at the time because I was like, well, that's an ADD dog for sure. And there's a lot more of them than I recall earlier. Again, I don't know if that's diet, genetics. I don't know what it is, but it is. And when I started to, I had to really think about that one and then start working with the dogs and finding out that their minds work differently. Different dogs, just like all of us. Some dogs are like me, just they just kind of straightforward, kind of dull, right? And others are like my kids and others are other ways I don't understand. They have a lot of mental stuff going on that we just assume they're all the same and they are not. And so the mental energy is something that if you can become aware of it, assess it, and at least find ways to optimize it, and instead of punishing them, and then look how bad they are all the time, finding ways to direct it and teach them to deal with the way they think, it gets way better. And I'll, I'll just give you an example, just an example. So whatever I've always said, whatever you see your dog doing right now physically, you know when you just put a puppy out in the yard and you know, they run around and do the zoomies and all that stuff? That's what's in their head. That is a physical manifestation of what's in their head. So when people often talk about, oh, there's a puppy, it has so much energy. But what it is, is that's what's going on in that little dog's head. And it is manifested in the body and the movements and the actions and the behavior. So people want to go after the physical stuff, you know, like throwing something 10,000 times or letting it run in the dog in the yard with the other dog for hours. That way they're addressing it. And no, so the crazy mind that's all chaotic and wild and the little dog can't really settle into really anything very easily is enhanced and made crazier by just mindlessly running around and biting and barking and chasing and chewing and jumping. The mind, you're, you're just enhancing the wild mind. And so if you have a dog or you think you have a dog like that, particularly a puppy where just look at their body. It's telling you everything you need to know. And I am asking people, don't misinterpret it. If it's jumping around and up and down and wild and crazy all over that stuff, then sit there and go, that's what's happening in that little guy's mind right now. How do I address that? How do I get that reined in? You can't drop the amount of energy they have. You cannot, well, you could drug them. And that's what they do with the ADD kids, by the way, right? It's, a lot of times there's some of the problem kids, you just drug them and then the behavior is just shrunk because they're kind of numb. And there are drugs for that with our dogs as well. I see every time I go in the vet's office. But what, what can you actually do? You won't, you get, unless you drug it, you have that much mental energy. You have the physical ability, if their structure is all there to support it, to have running around really fast and doing all kinds of wild things, right? But it's not the physical. It's what's going on in their heads. And so how do we get that energy that's in their heads to all be lined up in the same direction with the same outcome? The only way you are ever going to teach a dog with one of those minds where the energy is just extreme and 
sporadic and wild in every direction, the only way you're going to be able to do that is first by understanding what you're seeing. Let the body tell you what their little mind is, is doing. And when it tells you there's a lot of chaos and it just all, every direction stuff in here, okay, for one, the walk is phenomenally good because then you're not, if, especially on a young dog, you know, you can't make them be obedience masters at 12 weeks, cannot do that. But you can take them on a walk and they have to stay with you. That's because you're walking fast enough that they're working to keep up with you because they don't want to lose their new mom now that they lost their other one. That's a huge place where they you be, begin to build that connection and that uh, all the love of what their purpose is, right? Again, the walk is the most powerful training tool on the planet Earth as far as I'm concerned for these, these young dogs and can continue to be. But so you do that. There we spend some of that mental energy, literally, by taking a half hour walk. Yes, it, it takes more than three minutes at least go out 20 minutes on a little guy maybe they can't maybe a little guy can do 15 minutes maybe but when they get a little bit four or five months let's let's get it up there at least a half hour you know i know that's hard but it's it's an investment and this time is going to pass quickly so you do the walk that way we literally drain some of the cells of the short stored sugar ready there to fire muscles and muscles and they also stay with us so they have to think right they have to think. That's the key. So when you take a walk, and at first they're just on your feet, but later on, you know, you move fast enough and get going, so they're trying to stay with you. So they're thinking about, what is that smell? Can I eat that? What is this? Where is he? Where is she? I need to be with them. So you're making their mind focus on something. That is very important. When you do two or three retrieves and no more, and they love it, right? They have to, you're sitting there holding on to them as a little guy and pretty soon just teach them to just sit there and you can hold on their collar and they have to sit, wait, watch the thing go down as their eyes get better and their bodies get bigger. It goes farther and becomes more difficult. They have to watch that, go get it, come back. And they don't get to do it 87 million times so that it doesn't really matter because it's going to happen again and again. So they really focus on it and really do it, savor it as much as they can. So now they're, again, moving physically. They are working on their job and what their genetics drive them to do. So that's a really good thing. When any animal can do what God put it here to do, that's a really good thing. Very gratifying. And then, um, then they have to think and try to follow, stay in the lines that you're setting down for them. And they're not negative lines because they love to retrieve. So it's like, all right, I'll sit here if I have to, and I'll wait, and I'll watch, and I'll focus, and then I'll come right back because I have to, and then maybe I'll get to do it maybe one more time or two. That, okay, now we're, we're, the brain is in focusing in on something else. Okay, so now we've got some energy spent for good reasons. We've got, we are letting that inner drive, you know, their, what their DNA is calling out for them to do is getting answered. And they're also thinking. Now, for the rest of the time with these dogs, getting them to think. In you know, many of my previous podcasts, I call it, they need to do algebra problems. An algebra problem will make a dog, will take more energy from a dog than your hour run in the backyard with the other dog. 
it will take more energy. It's just taking that energy in another form. People always think the answer is physical. And again, physical is just showing you what's in the mind. And so if you address what's in the mind, the whole rest of that stuff gets better. So having a dog have to think. Now, one of the things, and I know a lot of people do this, and it's a good thing. It's not enough, but it's a good thing. It's like, well, I make them sit down and wait, and I put their bowl down for dinner, and then I release them. You know, and that's good. That's good because, it, you know, that's a discipline thing, but it's also they have to think. That's dinner time. All right, that means I have to sit, and I have to wait, and I have to listen, and then when I hear my whatever your release is, um, then I get to eat. So that's a good thing. But see what the process is in there? They have to think. They have to listen, and there maybe other things said than whatever the release is, and then they have to wait to hear the release. So we got a little puppy brain learning how to think cohesive thoughts, and there's a lot of other ways you can do that. And you can, as they get older, you have to do that. Mindless retrieving, going out there and checking that bumper twelve times, mindless retrieving. There's, they don't have to sit there, think, listen to anything, right? They're just, woo, just running out their nuts. Therefore, that's what's happening in their mind. That's why I, I mm, that is not a thing for me unless I need to get them more energetic and happier. Then I'm going to go after the mental part. That's where I'm going to go. If, I, if they're getting kind of lumpy or depressed or disinterested, I'm going to throw happy stuff. I'm going to toss that out there, no rules, go get it, and try to get the inner, mental energy back in there. Where they're going, oh yeah, this is fun. I like this. So you have to understand that. But on a little dog, you can do stuff like, and depending on their size, it has to be size appropriate. Just do a little bit of teaching them uh, to sit and then come to you and then sit. You can do that with a leash. Don't teach them. Use the leash so that they can only do the right thing. Sit, walk with me 10 steps, sit. I'm going to stand in front of you, call you to me. Wait till I call you, then sit. Little guys, you can do some of that stuff with little guys. And the for the upland pointing people, we don't just drive in obedience more than we drive in the bird part. But if you got a dog who who's jumping around, oh, seems to have a lot of physical stuff, right? Go in there on the mental side of that. So then go ahead and do some early obedience, not with electric collars not with you know all that stuff but a leash with a little guy on the leash you can make them come to you and sit you can make them walk next to you and sit their attention spans especially if they've got the high energy mentality thing is only going to be a moment or two so do it don't because otherwise you make it be torture and then they don't like it and then their brain is not going to engage because it's going to go on beyond any time that it can pay attention so you you do a little bit of work, you know, make them wait to go through the doorway until you say, you know, make them wait to come out of the crater or the wherever you have them until you say, take the time. But most importantly, you're making them think and you will find that that changes the nature of that animal in several ways. One, it kind of knows how to learn now where before you just thought it was a puppy and too crazy. It knows how to learn things. That's going to be valuable the rest of the time. You are even more important to it because you kind of rescue this dog from that wild, crazy place. Believe it or not, just like humans, they, they don't really, they're not like, oh, good, now my mind's just loud and crazy. I'm just so happy. That's not how people are. And dogs aren't that way. That's hard when you're that way. You can't really manage yourself. You don't really know what to do. There's no help. It's just like, oh, my gosh. 
So that's why people drink and smoke pot and do stuff they do to make that stop. Well, dogs can't make it stop, so they just get wild and crazy. And so if you can have them have to think, listen, respond, not, not again, keep, keep obviously reality. So there's times just put them in the backyard and just let them be a dog, whatever that is. But your interactions and the way they exist in your life, if you teach them and give them places where they have to focus and think, as long only for a little while and they have to take responsibility for their actions but you've shown them how to do that in a not again not a big long 15 minute session but just a few minutes you have to keep their you know my kids couldn't focus in class so that doesn't mean you have to learn to focus in class they had to learn how to work with the teacher and understand that I'm I'm gonna I come in and out (laughs) so what can I do to make that work for me. And they did. They developed all kinds of ways. And you have to do that with these dogs. You can't do a 15-minute algebra problem session with them. You know, you've got to do just a few minutes and then stop. And bracket things. Crates are magic. You know, have them in a crate. Get air, do their thing, put them in a crate. Get ready. Decide what your little lesson plan, what you're going to have them do. Get them out. Have them work on that for several minutes. Put them back in the crate so they can stew on it. Then let them out. When you start treating some of these dogs with a crazy mind, you will find that. Now, it doesn't mean the physical energy is just going to go away, but it will be far more focused. And the older they get, the less problematic it will be. So you can have a very high-energy dog, very high-energy mentality, just a mind that just goes at 10 times the speed of anybody else's, who are actually look just totally normal. And it's not that they're abnormal. They just look like every other dog because they have got control of themselves and their heads. They know how this is. They have uh, avenues for all of this mental energy that they have. And that's the happiest, coolest dog in the world. And one little danger point, and then I'll get out, we'll end this thing, is when you have that kind of energy and a very intelligent dog, it's just like with my kids, I'm telling you. That's a danger zone because when they get, if they're real smart and they know, they already know and they can't spend this mental energy, they're not getting to do what, what their DNA is calling for them to do. They don't get to be in the real world in which they really belong and want to be in. That's your walk and your field stuff and all that. When they don't get to do that, they start creating things to expend this mental energy that they have and they're smart so they have some very creative and interesting ideas, most of which you don't like, like dismantling the back fence or removing all the drywall beneath the stairs or all, you know, or escaping or what, all kinds of stuff, getting creative on running marks and blinds. Man, they'll just overrun one of them by 300 yards and you're going, what the hell, why are they doing that? that what's wrong with this dog? And it's because they just have to come up with something to vent all of this stuff. So when you have the real smart ones, you have a big job on your hand because you have to be very clear about things and give them opportunities to have to think and be challenged. And as they master what you're teaching right now, move on to the next things. Begin to increase what you're asking and the level to which you're making them think and and putting it together with those things that they love, what their DNA, what their psychology is going, I must do this. And then also the real world. I don't care if you never hunt a day in your life. If you have a retriever that's well-bred, you need to do stuff out there in nature. 
You know, it doesn't mean you have to kill anything necessarily, although they would just love that if you did. But if you can't, then do your bumper thing and, and, and really get them where they have these three sets of things of energy, which are all kind of mixed together, are all focused and spent in ways that the dog loves and that are productive for you. So I'm going to say, if not all the problems I see with people and their young dogs, 99.9% of them stem from this right here. People want some things I can do to make this dog be better, or they just want to go to the dog park. My God, turn the dog loose. Okay, let's just get that mind as crazy as we possibly can. Because, and then, well, then you got the electric collar. So now I'm going to smoosh you into uh, doing what I say because <laughs> I've never let you actually learn to manage your own mind and how to deal with all the energy that you have inside. So some people may not even, like, what is this? This is baloney. You train a dog, you do it the same way with everybody, and that's fine. But uh, when you're trying to adjust for different dogs and optimize, one, their success, your success, the teamwork, and making this dog be as healthy and happy as possible, uh, understanding these three different things and working, putting them together to work is, is really good. I'll go so far as to say that a lot of uh, kind of... Uh, health issues that dogs have, some of the autoimmune stuff they have, some of the allergic stuff that, you know, they, I'm no vet. All right. So, I mean, dogs have stuff happen that they get sick and they need this. I absolutely, but a lot, just like with people when like the humans, like my kids, had they not learned how to deal with stuff and manage the way their minds work, maybe alcohol and pot and God knows what else, you know, would have been a big part of their lives. Um, big part of their lives because that at least that made that craziness go away you know I'm not smart enough to do what everybody else does I can't be like other people there's something wrong with me and then you find ways to numb it there's a lot of that out there and it could easily have been them fortunately they're both ultra runners and uh, jiu-jitsu all kind of mountain climbing they do all that stuff so they get they get their physical energy spent in a good way and they don't have to numb it out. And same way with dogs. I think a lot of dogs that can't get all this energy that they have managed and focused in productive and things that they love, it starts to manifest itself in health problems with dogs. I guarantee there is so much of that. But you, how do you explain that to somebody? Well, actually, your dog is that way because of the way their head works and you haven't noticed, you know, and then people get real, just think you're nuts. But there's a lot of that. So I offer this to people getting pups, having pups, and people with any kind of dogs. This is, for me, has been my key to success with a whole variety of dogs, some that other people couldn't do or wouldn't do. Uh, I'll, I got it from my kids. Give them to total credit for teaching me this stuff. But, oh, my gosh, it is just such such a, a, an answer to things. And so now when I get new people come in with young dogs that are, Oh, they pull on the leash and they do all these kind of things and they all this stuff. And it's just like, well, let's just talk about what kind of where your dog is. And it's a lot of work to do this right, folks. So I hope I help somebody with some of this. At least give them a little food for thought. Because like I said, I'm, I'm trying to be the spokesperson for these dogs. Because some of them are just awesome and you, they do great. And you don't have to think about this at all. And some do need it. So that's what I'm doing this for. Hope everybody is having a good fall. Hunting season is roaring now. Um, nationals are still a few nationals to go here till November. Uh, a lot of dog stuff. But I hope everybody is, is uh, safe, healthy, and happy. And I will be back 
soon.